All right, guys, what I'd like you to do is we're up to chapter 10 now in John. So if you could turn to John chapter 10 in your Bibles. John chapter 10 in your Bibles. If you're using a pew Bible, that's page 567. John chapter 10. Now, again, we are going through the Gospel of John. We've been going through it primarily to meet Jesus, understand who he is, what it means for our lives. But in the process, we're learning about ourselves, and we're learning about those who do not believe. So that's especially true when we've been in this section now, chapter 7 through 12, where we see the hostility that Jesus is facing. And that hostility exists. And, and the amazing thing is when you read this section, the hostility isn't just coming from average people outside of the people of God. It's actually coming from people who say they are the people of God. Do, do you understand? When you look at the hostility that Jesus is facing here, it's from the Jewish religious leaders. The people who were to safeguard and to teach the others about God. They're the ones who are upset with him. They're the ones who are rejecting him. They're the ones who are false. And that's kind of where we're going to go with chapter 10 today. Because chapter 10 is a kind of a continuation of verse 41. Verse 41 of chapter 9. Remember, Jesus said that he came to give sight to those who are blind and that he is to make sure that those who think they see become blind. And the Pharisees, if you look at what they say in verse 40... When they heard this, are we blind also? That's the way we would read it, but the actual language would say, are you saying we're blind? It's kind of an arrogant statement because they supposedly know everything. And Jesus says in verse 41, if you were blind, you would have no sin, but now, I, now you say we see, therefore your sin remains. So he's talking about the corruptness of these leaders. And nothing has changed. You and I live in a world today where whether you realize it or not, we can have leaders that are corrupt that are doing it for the wrong reasons. We have around us false voices. So that's the first section I'm going to talk about here, false voices. Here's the thing I want you to see, and this is very relevant to what Jesus is going to talk about today. Here's the first thing. There are individuals who seek to prey upon God's people. If you have not realized that at this point, now if you're younger, I can understand where you might not realize that. But if you've been around a while, okay, if you've been stomping around on this earth a while, and especially if you've been stomping around this earth a while and have been in church, you would recognize that there are leaders who emerge and what they're there for is to prey upon God's people in some way. That's to get something from God's people. Now, here's the interesting thing. It's a historical problem. What do you mean a historical problem? Well, when you read the church fathers, one of the things that they complained about is that Christians tend to be gullible concerning anyone who portrays themselves as a leader and oftentimes get hoodwinked. 
and destroyed and hurt. There are individuals who will seek to prey upon God's people. I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, wow, George, that's pretty harsh to say people have been hoodwinked. You know why I can say that? Because I was. I had a leader in my life that I looked up to who was part of my ordination council, who was instrumental in me getting my first church, who married Lori and I, And he turned out to be false. That'll destroy you as a young Christian. Do you know what I'm saying? That'll destroy you. Because you realize, you realize then, because all the effort of all what was being done was not for God's people, although it could appear that way. It was for ego, for self. It's interesting, if you go... To, I would, I would challenge you to do this on your own. 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2 is a warning passage concerning false teachers. Now, the interesting thing is, most people think that false teachers teach a false message, right? Wouldn't we say that? They're teaching wrong, heretical views, right? But when you go to 2 Peter chapter 2 and read it, he doesn't talk about the teaching of the false teachers. He talks about their lifestyle, he talks about what drives them and motivates them and itself. It's what they can get. And about it's all about who? Them, not God's people. And this was true in Jesus' day when he's saying to them that they're blind and they're like, are we blind? You know, he's, he's trying to communicate to them that their false voices because their prominence in Jewish society as Pharisees or priestly, they were in it for themselves and they were preying on God's people. Here's the second thing I want you to see. Their sole purpose was to benefit themselves at the expense of others. That's their sole purpose. Their sole purpose was to benefit themselves. You know, a couple weeks here, yeah, two, two and a half weeks from now, okay? I will be here 21 years. April 1st, April Fool's Day, will be my 21st year officially as pastor, okay? Now, I'm going to tell you something. So when you're somewhere 21 years, you get to know the folks in the church, and you, they become part of you, you become part of them. I'm going to tell you, if I go off the deep end and start, you start noticing that I'm exhibiting these traits... You need to get rid of me or hightail it out of here. Did you understand what I'm saying? Because it is possible, and I've watched it over the last few years, men who were at one time solid get corrupted to where what they were doing became more about them than what it was about God's people. Do you understand what I'm saying? I think if you pay attention to the news, you would realize that what I'm talking about is true, right? 
These guys, these false voices, their sole purpose is to benefit themselves at the expense of others. That's what the Pharisees were doing. So when Jesus comes along in chapter 9, verse 41, and says, because you say we see, therefore your sin remains, he's getting to the heart of who they are. And then that brings out this, what is now what we call the great I am, I am the great shepherd discussion. But there's a purpose for that discussion. He's going to talk about a true voice in the midst of the false voices. He's going to talk about where our attention should be rather than where we're putting it. Because we have a tendency, let's just be honest, we have a tendency to put our attention on men. So when my friend fell, Laurie will tell you that was devastating to me. Devastating. But why did that happen? Because my eyes were on a man versus where it should have been on. Jesus. Did, did you understand what I'm saying? Jesus. And men have clay feet. And men are human and men make mistakes and they do wrong. And we need to admit that. We need to acknowledge that. So I want you to notice with me, because in light of this whole issue of false teachers that are portraying themselves as the authority of God's word and judging Jesus, he's going to talk about the true shepherd here. He's going to talk about who he really is. He's going to use, he's going to use an illustration of a sheepfold. Okay, so don't think Ireland, sheep running around the hills. Think Israel today, a little bit dry, arid. Think a cave or maybe a walled area where at night when they bring the sheep in, they bring them into an area enclosed and there's a gate or an opening where someone would be laying to make sure sheep didn't get out or predators get in. And that would be common in their day. And so Jesus is going to use a common illustration to communicate some great spiritual truths here for you and I about the true shepherd who we should be looking to. So let's look at it together. Let's look at verses 1 to 10, chapter 10. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as the thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own by calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustrations, and they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep 
did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. All right, let's look at this. We're going to look at this whole issue of the true shepherd. What does this mean for you and I? What is he trying to say here, especially in light of this issue of the false voices around us? Here's what I want you to see. The first thing Jesus is going to say is this. Jesus is the only one who has the right to lead and guide his people. Jesus is the only one who has the right to lead and guide his people. Period. He's the only one. Jesus said anybody else who's trying to come into the sheepfold or get to the sheep by some illegitimate means is false. They're a thief. They're a robber. But the shepherd comes through the door to his sheep. I'm the only one, Jesus is saying, that has a right to lead my people. I'm the only one. What What is the relevance of that for you and I? Look, folks, I may be a pastor, but that doesn't mean I am to be heard in all that I say. Jesus is your Lord. George isn't. Did you understand what I'm saying? Jesus is your Lord. No pastor is. So how can you say that? You're a pastor. Well, because Ephesians chapter 4 tells me what my task is. To guide God's people so that they can do the work of the ministry. To train them, to teach them, to guide them. That's not being in charge. And when you look at the structure of a church within God's word, it's always in what? The plurality of leaders, not one single guy. And that's reality here. Because who's, who's the ultimate leader of the church? Jesus. All right, so let's say that. Who's in charge of Kerwinsville Christian Church, folks? Jesus. Not me. Not anybody. It's Jesus. He's the only one who has a right. He's the only one who can lead God's people. And and we're going to see how he leads God's people here because it's interesting what he brings out. He says, second thing there, verse 3 and 4, notice what it says there. He says, to him the doorkeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. They hear his voice. And when he brings them out, he goes before them, and the sheep follow, for they know his voice. I remember, you know, when I first uh, got married to Lori, we lived down in the Smicksburg area of PA while I was waiting to go to my first church. And we were very involved in her home church, and a lot of people in that home church I found out are related to my wife. At that time, the size of the church was, that I think more than half of the church was related somehow to my wife, okay? So I got all this new family, okay? Cousins removed or whatever, okay? And I went to visit one of them, and he was a dairy farmer. And I went to visit another one, and he had Herefords for beef. Now, when we walked up together, I could call them. They're not coming to me, but my friend or whoever we were visiting with could say something, and they came to him. Why? Because he's the one who feeds them. 
They wanted something to eat, so there they were. They didn't know my voice. They sure didn't know the cousin that I was with, his voice. It's the same thing here. He's using an illustration that we understand. He's saying God's people know whose voice? Jesus' voice. The sheep represent God's people here. And when he calls to them, they come out and he leads them and he guides them. And, and the reality is, is, here's the second point I want you to see. Jesus intimately knows his people and they respond to his voice. He knows them. He knows their idiosyncrasies. And they respond to him. So I want you to think about yourself for a moment. You're quirky. I don't like that, George. No, you are. I'm quirky, you're quirky. There's nobody else like you except you. With your likes, your dislikes, the way you respond to things, how you react to things, with your experiences, with your knowledge, with your upbringing, there is nobody like you but you. You're quirky. You can't cookie cut you. There, you can't have a church of cookie cutter people. And Jesus doesn't have a sheepfold of sheep that are all alike. And here's the thing. He intimately knows every detail of every sheep in his flock. What does that mean? He intimately knows everyone who's a part of his family. He knows what bothers you. He knows what you are interested in. He knows you. When you're his child, when he speaks, you know his voice. And you know what I mean by that. Because God doesn't speak to you and, hey, do this. No, he speaks to you quietly in your heart and in your mind. And you know when he speaks, it's him. Because he knows you. And you know him. That's the interesting thing. He knows you. He's the true shepherd. Here's the, here's the next thing I want you to see. Here's the reality. When you have that happening, verse 5 and 6 tell us something. Here, look with me. He said, yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Now, Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the, the things that he spoke to them. <laughs> here's the point. His people do not recognize the faults the voice of false leaders and flee from them. So let me, let me just say something to you. You ever been around somebody who says they're a Christian leader? You've listened to them, you sat under them. And somehow you just kind of knew within you that there, there's something off here. You got red flags exploding in your mind. There, there's something wrong with, with the teaching. There's just there's something wrong here. And you can't put your finger on it, but you just sense that things are not right there. And so you find yourself drifting away or going somewhere else or... Have you been there? I've, I've had that feeling. Do you understand what I'm saying? I, I have experienced that firsthand where, where, you know, 
sometimes I get to meet people and you just, as you're talking to them, you just realize that there's something not right here. And then a little bit later on, maybe a few years later on, you realize it comes out that they weren't true. They were false. I guess what I'm trying to say to you is God's people know false voices. And if you know the Lord and you're spending time with him and you are responding to his voice when something false comes along, you should be able to what? Recognize it, right? Because you deal with what's real and authentic. I mean, I, I read years ago, they talked about how do you identify a counterfeit bill? By studying counterfeit bills? No, by dealing with real bills all the time so that when something false comes along, it just kind of feels different. It kind of sticks out. And so you as sheep and you and I as sheep, because we are connecting with God and we hear his voice, when someone comes along, a false voice, a false leader who's out for himself, you realize, wow, there's just not something right there. There's something, I don't know what's going on. I've got to be careful here. You know what I'm saying? Jesus is saying that this is happening. This is what happens with God's people when they don't hear the voice of the shepherd anymore, there's a false voice. Here's the next thing. Because they, he's talking to people there, and it's interesting. So remember what he said? He makes the blind to see. The people who should see don't see. Verse 6 tells you that. The people who are listening, they couldn't grasp him because he was just telling them that they were blind. And guess what? They're blind. They don't see it. So then he brings it, amps it up one step further about who he is. And here's what he says. Look with me at verse 7. We're also going to look at verse 9. Verse 7. Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. You can also say the gate. All right? Verse 9. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go out, go in and out and find pasture. All right, so here's what's going on. He, Jesus exclusively proclaims that he's the way to salvation. I, I, I'm amazed sometimes I hear people say, well, Jesus never claimed that he was the way. Really, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I am the door. The only way to enter in is through me, through salvation. Jesus never claimed that. He did. He is exclusively, now I'll be honest with you, that we don't want to hear that in our postmodern age where we think everything, Westerners think this way. Westerners like to think that Christianity is like Hinduism, Hinduism is like Islam, Islam is like Buddhism, Buddhism is like animism. They're all mean the same, they're all looking the same way, they're all heading in the same direction. Have you not heard that? The only people who believe that are Westerners, Americans. If you talk to a Buddhist, they would say, it's only Buddhism. If you talk to a Christian, it's only Christian. Do you understand what I'm saying? Jesus is flat out saying to you right here, I'm the only way. You want to come to salvation? You want to come to a right relationship with God? You want to come to a place of that intimacy with him? I'm the only way. I'm the gate. You go by any other means, it's what? False. I'm the gate. He's exclusive. Here's the other thing I want you to see. We're getting close to the end. 
God's people don't recognize, respond to false prophets and follow them. Look at verse 8. They don't respond to false prophets. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. What do you mean all who came before him? He's talking about in Israel at this time, there is a historical record that there would be these guys who would raise up and they would say, I'm going to overthrow the Romans. I'm the Messiah. And people would follow after him until they get destroyed by the Romans. Proving that they were what? Not the Messiah. And so he says, all who came before me, because he's saying, I'm the Messiah. I'm the way to salvation. All who came before me are false. They're robbers. They're thieves. They're seeking to destroy. And guess what? God's people don't listen to him. God's people don't respond because they know God's voice. And these are false voices. So that brings us to the point. Here's what he says. Look with me at verse 10. And this is where we're going to end up at. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. If you want to underline this, please do so. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Here's the thing about Jesus, the Messiah. The true Messiah will give his followers life in abundance. Let me qualify that because there's some guys on TV that'll tell you that abundance means lots of health and lots of money. That's not what he's talking about here. But what he is talking about is life and how you live it and your perspective and having Christ, you have the abundance of that to face whatever you're facing. You can have an abundant life and be the poorest person in Clearfield County and have nothing. And be abundant. Why? Because you have that relationship with Jesus, with the shepherd. Because he guides you. He said, those false teachers, when they come, their sole purpose is what themselves. So they seek to kill and destroy and to rob. We've been there, haven't we? You and I have been there where maybe we followed someone and maybe we were guided by someone who was only in it for themselves. I, I can tell you that what was there when you thought about it was not abundant life, was actually repression, oppression. Because what you were called to do was for the, whatever that person wanted rather than for what God's people needed. Did you understand what I'm saying? Maybe, maybe I'm not communicating that properly. That what... That person, whoever it was, that false voice who was doing it for himself, everything that they call God's people to do is for who? Themselves. But that doesn't bring life to the people who are doing it, does it? If anything, they feel what? Oppressed by it. And it's not abundant life. And actually, a lot of times, it's some form of legalism. And that's a big thing, isn't it? In a world where we judge churches by how many people show up and how big the offering is. You feel depressed. He said, they're thieves. But I have come, Jesus said, so that you can have life 
and have it abundantly so that when you do what I'm calling you to do, God says, it brings you life, not oppression. Haven't you been there? Where you've, you felt pressure to serve God because this leader was telling you to do that and you were doing it, doing it, and you were just like, oh, I got to get up this morning and go do Sunday school or go do this or go do that. And I just really, oh, I don't know, I can do it. And you do it, but it's not life to you. It doesn't give you life. I experience that every Sunday morning. Not that feeling. But this one. I have gotten up here sometimes through the years with some sort of back pain. But then when I start teaching, it's gone. Because I enjoy what he's telling me to do. Or when I meet with someone and, and, and try to help them doing what he's told me to do, I get life from that. As soon as I stop, sit back down or whatever, the seize, back seizes up again. Why did that happen? Because he gives life to those who will do what they're supposed to do according to what he wants. But you know how it robs you to do things when it's not about God anymore and it's about a person? Uh, where are we going with this, George? Here, here's my point. Here's what I want you to see. Let's go back to what I said earlier. We have a tendency to put our eyes on men. Right? That's a defeating thing. But that's not what he called us to. He called us to have life. What does that mean? Put our eyes on the true shepherd who knows you intimately and you know his voice when he talks to you. And he's the one who gives you life. And not just life, but abundant life, overflowing life. Because you walk with him. So let me close with this illustration to help you see what I'm saying. Okay? You know, I, I've, I've been a believer now since 1985. So it's going to be 37 years now. Yeah, my math's right. Okay, 37. I saw it in my own life. I see it in the lives of many since then. Have you ever noticed sometimes when somebody first comes to Christ, there, there is an excitement for Jesus with that person? You ever seen that? That they would be willing to do anything God told them to do. They, when they pray, they pray simple prayers, believing God's going to answer their prayer. And then they're like, oh, I can't believe he didn't answer that one. They, it kind of shocks them when God doesn't answer their prayer. I mean, God is so real to them. And then something changes over time where all of a sudden that initial zeal and love that they had for Jesus kind of dissipates. Have you experienced that? 
And it's kind of like you've gotten into the routine of church and, and everything and where we might believe that God will answer prayer now, but the excitement level is more for the Steelers than for Jesus. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? Or pardon me, some of you aren't Steeler people, the Eagles or, or something else, okay? Um, what happened? If you look at what happened, probably they were listening to another voice. And they didn't realize it. And a subtle voice came along and distracted them from the true voice. And the life that they once had disappeared. So now you understand why David says in Psalm 51, Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Or, Jesus to the church at Ephesus, you've forgotten your first love. Remember. Remember what it used to be like. And repent. And what? Go and do the first works. He came to give you life. Abundant life. If you're not experiencing that, then something, some voice distracted you it's time to start listening again listening for the true voice and you'll find yourself again believing him to do anything again and trusting him may that be true for all of us let me pray for you